Hello and welcome to our London History Podcast, where we share our love of London, its people and places, and history in 20-minute espresso shots served with a Dutch personality. I am your host, Hazel Baker, London tour guide and CEO of London Guided Walks, providing private tours, treasure hunts, guided walks, and live London quizzes to Londoners and visitors alike. Don't forget, we also transcribe all of our episodes. So if you want to read what we are also saying, then please visit londonguidedwalks.co.uk forward slash podcast. Click on the episode that you want and you'll be able to have the transcript in any images or anything else that we will have to share. We put it there. Reviews for our podcast are greatly appreciated. They help us build awareness for the show, which in turn allows us to ensure we bring best value to our lovely listeners like you. You can easily leave a review by clicking on the five stars or you can write a little bit about what you enjoy most about our podcasts. That's enough of that. Let's get on with the show. One of my favourite wonders of London is its living history. There are so many beautiful old buildings that have been preserved and are still in use today. Sometimes for the exact same purpose they were originally built for. It's quite a novelty browsing through these old shops which have changed little since they were first built, sometimes hundreds of years ago. We are so lucky in London and there are still quite a selection of these shops still open waiting for our custom today. Several famous London shops haven't survived and I'll cover these in another podcast such as Gamages, Jones Brothers and even Woolworths. But with Christmas round the corner and shopping being a major part of that nowadays, I thought I'd share with you some of my favourite old shops of London. Which part of London is best for old shops? Well, when I think of old-fashioned shop frontages, the area of St James stands out for me, as well as parts of the city. But Mayfair and Holborn also offer a few too. But with the challenge of backing all of this into 20 minutes, I'm going to focus on London's oldest food shops. The first one I want to introduce you to is Berry Brothers and Rudd in St. James's. It was founded in 1698 as an upscale grocer's by a businesswoman known as Widow Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E. And she and her daughters ran the St. James's establishment, which supplied the area's fashionable coffee houses, which were basically gentlemen's clubs under another name. And we do have a few podcast episodes about those already. And of course, then the business has just passed down through the family over generations. And amazingly, with it having traded for over 300 years, it's still ran by the family now. They're down to the eighth generation. The fabric of the building is amazing. Even from the outside, the dark wooden frontage is is just beautiful. And the uneven wooden floor date back to over 300 years ago, back to when Widow Bourne first set up shop. And the floor is formed from timbers of a former shop. And this was common practice. You might already know that Liberty Shop Uh, just off E Regent Street, um, they use timbers of two ancient three-decker battleships, HMS Impregnable and HMS Hindustan. From the very beginning, Berry Brothers and Rudd has sold wine, but it began in 1845 to specialise in wine, and now it sells over 5,000 different wines. 
and it holds two royal warrants and has been a supplier of the royal family since 1760. So that's during the reign of George III. Well, it's quite handy that their shop is conveniently opposite St. James's Palace, the official residence to Her Majesty the Queen. And St. James's Palace was created by Henry VIII. Um, He flattened a hospital called St. James's uh, to create his palace there. And the shop is now on a corner, which is formed from Henry VIII's tennis court. I doubt there is another shop in the world that can say that. There is an also an urban legend, I've heard it a few times from different sources, that there's a passage leading from the shop uh, to a room in St. James's Palace and it's now been blocked off. So who knows, perhaps one day it will be found. And when you go in, you'll notice a large pair of scales and these date from 1765 and they're huge and many notable customers have been weighed here. So names such as Pitt the Younger, Lord Byron, Beau Brummel and the Prince Regent, they've all had their weight recorded in a book in the shop, which the shop still has. And of course, they come back time and time again um, to, to see their, their weight fluctuate. And uh, it's, uh, it's quite interesting to see some of the, the records there. And don't forget, this was a time before people had their own scales at home. And so uh, you needed to go somewhere that was reliable and a grocer's would uh, make absolute perfect sense. And if you go down the rickety staircase, um, this is where you'll see a truncheon um, hanging on the wall. Not what you'd normally expect to see. Uh, but this truncheon belongs to Napoleon III uh, and he's the nephew of the Napoleon. And why is it there, you may ask? Well, the French statesman uh, was good friends with George Berry. And in 1838, when the Chartist riots spread through England, uh, George signed up as a special constable. And accompanying him were his friend, the future Napoleon III. And the two served together as special constables, hence the truncheon on the wall. The vaulted cellar is named after Napoleon as he used the location as a secret meeting place when in exile in London. And if you love being outdoors in this season, then perhaps you will enjoy their ginger liqueur. It was invented in 1903 at the request of the physician of Edward VII. And so that's the son or the eldest son of Queen Victoria. Now, the king loved to race around in his high speed uh, Daimler car. Um, so we're talking like 20 miles an hour. And uh, one of his and he did this come rain or shine. And he loved his car so much. He ha- actually had eight of them. Quite a staggering amount since uh, these were not commonplace um, at all. The king's physician was worried that the king may catch his death when driving on these chilly winter days due to the wind chill. And so the purpose of creating this cordial, uh, which was a combination of ginger cordial and brandy, was to resuscitate and revivify And the early incantation, that was just lapped up. It was quickly taken up by Edward VII's friends and other members of high society as a restorative liqueur. Uh, And this accompanied them on their outdoor activities. And before long, it was a popular drink amongst Edwardian shooting parties. 
ginger brandy special liqueur was produced by Henry Berry, but was renamed the King's Ginger in Edward VII's honour in 1935. Oh, and it goes rather well with hot chocolate. Our next London food shop has a history 313 years old, and that is Fortnum and Mason's. So this is such a fabulous shop. It's beautiful on the inside and out. And this is one of the shops that we get to see on our Christmas lights tour. And Fortnum and Mason, it's essentially a London destination that you need to go and experience some extraordinary food. Its headquarters are located on Piccadilly, 181. And so it's not far from Berry Brothers and Rudd. Uh, and they too also have uh, two royal warrants. But Fortnum's Masons is a different kind of beast. Instead of specialising in one type of product, they have increased their offering now to different locations and also afternoon teas. Fortnum & Mason is rich with history and also innovation from the invention of the Scotch egg in 1738 to its revolutionary sparkling tea in 2020. And it continues to expand new outposts at home and abroad. It's got five retail units as well. It's got a colourful, continuous history and has often been centre stage at some of London and the UK's most important historical moments. It was established in 1707 during the reign of Queen Anne by Hugh Mason and William Fortnum. And Fortnum had taken a position as a footman in Queen Anne's household. And that's when Fortnum found that he could make a fortune by selling the Queen's bundles of discarded half-burned wax candles. And he managed to convince his landlord, Hugh Mason, to start a business venture together. And so they opened the now-famed grocery shop. It was decades later when the shop became primarily interested in selling mostly food to travellers, so they packaged easily transportable meals. And they did this as they found the shop was perfectly placed for travellers venturing west. And Fortnum developed the smart idea of wrapping a hard-boiled egg with pork sausage meat, covering that in breadcrumbs, and deep frying the whole thing. And hey presto, you have the world's first Scotch egg. But how did the Scotch egg get its name if it comes from London? Well, one theory is that um, officers of the Scots Guard, and they lived in the vicinity of the shop and they had taken a liking to this egg, but who knows if that's true or not. It's certainly a favourite of mine, I must admit, uh, especially when I'm needing something to munch on between London tours, as it doesn't lose its shape and it's got great taste and is very easy to eat. Fortnum's reputation was built on supplying high quality food. It's especially saw rapid growth through the Victorian era and though it's developed into a department store now, it does still continue to focus on offering a variety of exotic specialty and also basic provisions, such as Scotch eggs. You can get those on the lower floor, including a Stilton and broccoli one if you're a vegetarian. And they also have a rather bizarre but enjoyable uh, chorizo meat one as well. 
I get their Royal Blend Tea as well as their Florentines, which are absolutely divine and they really make your jaw ache after eating one. Okay, two. And it's the entrepreneurial ship with Fortnum and Masons that I find impressive. They haven't just had one idea and ran with it, they've had several. Uh, during the 1922 expedition to the peak of Mount Everest, Fortnum Mason, well, they were the chief supplier of food and drinks. And it was a massive endeavour that ultimately didn't make it to the top, but that was okay. The store had provided them with champagne in any case. And so the expedition, still breaking a mountaineering record, celebrated with that champagne, along with dozens of cans of exquisite and delicious food. Sounds like a very expensive and cold picnic. The Crimean War was the very first war to be covered by on-the-spot reporters. And this highlighted to the home front the appalling conditions that the, our soldiers were forced to live with. The story of the charge of the Light Brigade gripped the nation. It was described as a suicidal attack, a very public, failed military action involving the British Light Cavalry, led by Lord Cardigan against Russian forces during the Battle of Balaclava. It was made famous by Alfred, Lord Tennyson, in his poem The Charge of the Light Brigade. And even Queen Victoria got involved. She sent an order to Fortnum and Masons requesting them to dispatch without delay to Miss Nightingale in Scutari a huge consignment of concentrated beef tea. And beef tea, um, for those who don't know, is a very 19th century remedy still used in some parts of the country even nowadays. Um, if you open a book about 19th century dietary remedies, then you will find beef tea amongst them. It was a ty it's type of broth made with beef and water and it was given to patients to drink if they were suffering from digestive problems, uh, fever or uh, weakness. I find this surprising because it's not the kind of thing I would have thought that Fortnum and Masons um, stocked, but they obviously did and it must have sold well at the time. Being the go-to place for high quality and also exotic foods means that you get some interesting opportunities given to you. George V was known for throwing lavish parties and one of the largest ones was the Jubilee in 1935 and this commemorated 25 years of his ascension to the throne. And it's always been a tradition in the history of Fortnum and Masons it seems that they're responsible for catering to guests from all across the world and so they created a special department that accommodated the different dietary requirements of subjects from the empire coming from far away such as specially prepared Hindu, Muslim and Indian meals for the party. And they don't just focus on selling delicious food and tea sets. In 1984, they sold the single Do They Know It's Christmas with uh, Bob Gelder from Midge Ur uh, writing that hit. And the purpose was to raise money to help a struggling Ethiopia deal with famine. And this was a, an employee's idea and the charitable event was a huge success. And continuing this entrepreneurship theme, really. Um, so last week's episode was about London's uh, pillar boxes. 
And uh, before pillar boxes, well, it was open up to uh, private individuals and businesses to offer this uh, this service. And so Fulton and Masons got involved. They provided letter boxes, which were collected six times a day, which no one else was doing. And this then attracted all different kinds of people, um, including uh, soldiers and sailors who received a discount and other people who were just really attracted by the, the magnificent windows and their window displays even now are, are simply sublime and that arrangement lasted all the way until 1839 when the GPO uh, the general post office was founded um, and that was the year before the penny black was uh, released her majesty reportedly used to buy 1500 christmas puddings from fortnum and masons uh, and they've been the royal grocer for more than 150 years but now um, she buys six pound tesco christmas puddings instead and even this year um, she's given those as gifts to her staff um, but she won't be able to uh, do that in person due to the covid but this is a tradition that was uh, both her father george v and grandfather george the fourth took part in as well and each year the christmas decorations on fortnum and masons are outstanding Standing. So this year, like last, they have used the front of the Piccadilly side of the shop as a huge calendar. And that's the picture that you'll be able to see in our show notes. Um, so they have blasted this really strong red light onto the walls of the shop. And then they've got Christmas trees up there with lights. And then each window of the building is a door to the advent calendar. And the windows don't open. Um, but a light with the number of the date. So today, Friday the 11th, will be illuminated um, and so on and so forth. And it really is beautiful. And to get the best view, you want to cross over the road so you can see across Piccadilly and um, see the, the full uh, frontage. And then, of course, the windows, as I said, they're, they're sublime as well. So there's plenty for you to see there. And we do feature that on our Christmas tour, lights tour. So we're doing a Christmas lights tour in person for private tours, small groups. But we are also offering virtual Christmas light tours. Um, so this is a combination of my original Christmas lights tour, which we do um, on the ground, um, but also I've added in photos from Canary Wharf and King's Cross and the city and places where we just couldn't do it in a, a physical tour. So you get to see the, the magnificent options and choice that we have um, with Christmas lights in London. So you're able to put that as a private tour or you can join us on one of the public tours and buy your tickets online 15 pounds per household check out the website londonguidedwalks.co.uk virtual tours uh, to see uh, the dates that are offered to you and if you're still looking for the perfect christmas present for a history lover in your family or friend set then head on over to londonguidedwalks.co.uk forward slash shop and here we have jewelry made by myself during lockdown, I did a diploma in jewellery making just to keep myself busy and out of trouble. And this jewellery and bookmarks and other gifts have been inspired by London's history. We have a Tudor collection and they are contemporary design necklaces, but they're inspired by Anne Boleyn, Mary Tudor and also Sir Walter Raleigh. 
That's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget, we've got the show notes, but also we've got brand new blogs being published every month for you to enjoy absolutely free. Catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>